let's talk about two fears. One, don't outlive your money in retirement. It's the number one financial fear people talk about. So people just aren't saving early enough to accumulate the money they need. We're also living longer, right? So there's an issue. The other big fear that this industry does a lousy job of is getting front and center with the fact that there's a whole lifestyle that we have to deal with. Well, what do I do with the rest of my life? And it's a very difficult question. Retirement, that's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, it's my privilege to be joined by Mark Singer. Mark's the president of Safe Harbor Retirement Planning, and he served there as a relentless retirement guide for thousands of individuals since 1986. He's a former radio talk show host. He's an author, and he's become the go-to financial educator for the media. He's been featured on the in the Wall Street Journal, on ABC News, foxnews.com, and as, uh, on local Boston radio stations. He's also a multiple-year recipient of the Boston Magazine's Five Star Wealth Management Award. Um, Mark, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Jackie. I think you've got... Um, a whole lot of credentials there that I definitely uh, can't touch, and that's okay. I don't want to be a, finan- a financial guru for anybody. But um, one of the things I didn't read out is that you say that the secret to your longevity is asking questions that other other advisors don't ask. Can you um, tell the listeners a little bit about how you figured out what those questions are and, and what they might be? You know, I, it's a great question, and I don't think it's necessarily that I know the questions that aren't asked. It's more that I feel like I listen better, and it's not about me. It's about them, and there's one designation that I used to tell people that I have that when I used to do seminars years ago. You know, I was a talk show host and a certified financial planner, a CFP, and a DAD, and they'd go... What's a DAD? I said, well, that's a dad of a six-year-old. And I've learned more about communications from her than in any conference or anywhere industry publications ever. And she's the one who opened my eyes really to understanding the question isn't necessarily the question. There are so many different layers. And, and you know, I, I may hear what you are saying, but it may not be what you're really asking. So I tend to just sort of repeat back what I think I heard, and then we sort of go from there. Um, I also think in our industry specifically, um, I think our industry has done it wrong a lot when it comes to either training advisors or educating consumers. Uh, When it comes to training the advisor, 
too many advisors look at their clients as cash cows. You know, they come on in and, oh boy, how much of a commission can I make? How much revenue am I going to generate? And that's, you know, that, that's really not why they're coming to us. They're coming to us for guidance, for help, for counsel. And, you know, my business model is more about counseling and getting paid a fee for doing that than it is about selling product. And I think therein lies also an underlying problem we have in our industry that too many consumers don't trust us, don't like the way that we communicate. Um, and, you know, it, it speaks to, um, you know, a third of my clients are suddenly single women because I don't talk to them in the usual financial jargon or like our male dominated industry does to women. Uh, you can't do that. There's no connection. So I think it's really important for us to figure out how to have proper communications, how to listen well. And then once you start listening, then you can start to find the questions that, as I say, so many of my other peers do not ask. Okay, so that, I mean, that's gold in itself, just listening to people, because most of the time, that's all we want as a, as a customer is to be heard. Right. And I think if I look at myself going to an, a financial advisor, that's, that's key because I go in there with the mindset that you, uh, that you spoke about, that you know, they're trying to get my money. You're trying to figure out what you can sell me, what you can sell the most of to, you know, maybe get something out of me. And that's not the way that it should be. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that that's not the way that you do it, that you're going there to try to help the customer. And the flip side is, believe it or not, and it, it deals with not just how we consume financial products or services, it's everything. We as consumers are also accountable. We're accountable for asking the right questions. We're accountable for doing our own due diligence. And another part of where I think our industry has done it wrong in terms of educating the consumer is sharing with them the questions they should be asking yep. to actually hire the right financial advisor. I mean, if I have a broken arm, I'm not going to a heart surgeon. And unfortunately, a lot of that happens in our industry where people find after they've engaged a financial advisor or financial planner, they find themselves in places they didn't think they should be in or didn't understand they'd be there in the first place. But you should be asking those questions up front so you don't find yourself there. So again, a lot of the burden has to be on the consumer. But again, we, we haven't done a great job of, of, of you know, educating them about the questions they should be asking. And to believe it or, you know, um, I just released the fourth book and I said after the first one, I'd never do one ever again, I guess I lied. <laughs> um, but in the first one, I actually have a whole chapter devoted to, you know, the questions you need to be asking, you know, a financial advisor when you get to, you know, are you 30 years old? Well, if you're 30, you don't want to deal with a retirement planning specialist. You know, if you're looking for college planning, you don't want to be selling, going to somebody who's selling annuities. I mean, you, you just need to find out how they get paid, who they work for, how long they've been in business, you know, uh, what, what are some of the questions they ask, what are some of the clients' profiles they have, or do you work with 60-year-olds, do you work with 30-year-olds, do you get paid on a fee or a commission or some sort of, you know, whatever it is, there's nothing wrong with the answer, it's just finding out. One of the things someone said to me um, other than you don't know what you don't know, which goes 
you know, right with what you're saying is you should always be looking for a financial planner who has got control of their own life. Look, look at how they're planning their life and how their financial situation is, is laid out to see if it's um, at least in line with the kind of things that you're looking for. I, that's kind of a hard question to ask. I think you go in and sit down in an office and say, so how's your financial uh, heartbeat right now? You know, it's a, that's a great question. And, and you know, I, I'm not sure. I think each advisor would answer that differently, right? I mean, we all know of the plumber who comes into our house and fixes the plumbing beautifully, yet in their house, it's it's a mess, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm not sure of completely the correlation to it. Um, but, you know, you know, my personal story is, and I, and I love to share it with people, you know, when I was 27 years old, I had no money and I hired a financial planner. And the reason I hired the financial planner was I wanted to know what I didn't know. I wanted to know what I needed to do to get on track. And without a doubt, it's the most uh, important money I've ever invested in myself because if you were to ask me about my finances, I'm financially independent now. And I can attribute that in great lengths to the initial conversations I had when I was 27 years old to understand what I needed to do. So, you know, I think it's really important. It's a great question. If you can figure out how to ask that question properly, I think it would be an interesting way to get the, an interesting answer. I think that's, a, that's the key, figuring out how to ask it properly, I think. <laughs> right, right. So you talk... Um, about a couple of things in, in the little bio that you gave me. And one of them is that your book, Don't Outlive Your Money in Retirement, Seven Key Steps. So can you talk a little bit about those key steps? Um, I take it there, the road to retirement. You, you said the yellow brick road. You know, it's interesting. In the foreword to that book, I said it took me 32 years to write that book, yet it took me about two weeks to write it. Because um, it's all about the experience we had, right? Um, and I can tell you the background on, on writing the book was the pandemic. And the pandemic to me was a glimpse into what retirement might look like for many. For those who are approaching that retirement age or cons considering it, what they found was there was no work to go to, no place to go to. Uh, you're home 24-7 with your spouse. For some, that worked out really well and maybe not so great for others. Um, but it truly um, formed a framework for many people and a new perspective on what retirement might look like, which is well beyond just the numbers. Unfortunately, again, getting back to our industry doing it wrong, and I believe it does, we focus so much on what the markets do. Is the market up today? Is it down tomorrow? Who cares? I'm not invested for today or tomorrow. I've got specific goals I'm investing towards. And it doesn't matter what the market does. It matters how I am able to pursue my goals. So the seven steps really sort of flips upside down what the industry has told people. We don't ever get to the investing piece until like step number four or five. Whereas when you talk to a traditional planner or broker, that's the first thing you talk about. And if, it, if during your working years, it's probably the only thing you talk about. 
But when you approach retirement, it's much more about, you know, goals, fears. Let's talk about two fears. One, it's the cover of the book. Don't outlive your money in retirement. It's the number one financial fear people talk about. You know, AARP did a study that showed that a majority of people facing retirement age are deferring it. And the number one reason was not enough money. Okay. So people just aren't saving early enough to accumulate the money they need. We're also living longer, right? So there's an issue. The other big fear that this industry does a lousy job of is getting front and center with the fact that there's a whole lifestyle that we have to deal with. There's what I call the business culture, right? It was actually the foreword in my second book. A, 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 a client of mine had worked for an insurance company for 38 years. She was 57 years old. So you do the math. It was her only job, right? Yeah. And she came in and the question was, now that I've reached a point where I can get 100% of my pension, and at the time there was actually a pension, you know, could I retire? Which is a question that people ask, when or can I? So we crunched the numbers, which is all about the planning. And we found out, yes, you could retire. Isn't that great? <clears throat> so a month later, she comes back and she sits in my office and she starts to cry. I'm going, uh-oh, what I do? And we talked it through it. And this is what happened. She was losing the business culture. She was losing the second home. She was losing the reason she was getting up in the morning. She was losing a place to go to. She was a very highly regarded and respected member of a community helping to grow a business. She had all of her lifelong friends there. She had a reason to participate. And once she left there, how do you fill that? And the question that we pose is, and that I hear a lot is, well, what do I do with the rest of my life? And it's a very difficult question. I have my best friend who lives in Phoenix, calls me two, three times a week, just sold his practice. At 10 o'clock in the morning, he calls and he says, well, what am I going to do till 11? Well, I got lunch with somebody here on a Tuesday, and then we got dinner at five, and I don't know what else I'm going to do. He has no family. He has no kids. He doesn't play golf. He's got a couple of Corvettes, so he shows those. But outside of the Corvettes and working out, he doesn't have anything else to hold on to. His business was his baby. So what we try to do is put that lifestyle and the need to drive cash flow to free you up to, to, to pursue that lifestyle first. Once you define that, then you can go about and figure out what your investment risk you should take, which of the 567 different social security strategies you should employ. You know, estate planning, how do you take care of the surviving spouse? That's a big question. By the way, that's one of the questions most advisors don't ask. When you're gone, how is your surviving spouse going to be able to pursue his or her life? Oftentimes, that's the reason they came in, but nobody asked them. So the seven-step process, it just is what we have been doing for 32 years, and I just happened to formalize it, and we put it into what we call the yellow brick road. And all of that is so true. Uh, that's that's really what's behind my podcast too, is what do you do for the rest of your life? Because 
we are living so much longer and there could potentially be 30 plus years after you retire and you've got to fill it because when you walk away from whatever you've been doing, you are leaving an identity. And it doesn't mean that you have no identity. It means you have to find a new one. And, you know, figuring that out is, is a big thing for a lot of people. And I understand that. That's, I like that that's part of what you do in the planning because it's, it's so important. Is what, this is what is called the retirement red zone. It was coined by one of the insurance companies years ago. It talks about five years before to five years after. And that's sort of our sweet spot, by the way. But the five years before is where you really need to start thinking seriously, not, not, not starting to invest for retirement. You should have done that in your 20s and 30s and 40s. But for, for you need to be starting to have the conversations with your spouse or partner. You need to be starting to visualize what it is you want to do because you can't retire on Friday and then on Monday wake up and think everybody everything's going to be great. Because unless you've done in your head that visualization, unless you've had those conversations with your family, with your spouse, with whoever your partner, whatever it is, you know, it, it, you know, all, you know, the joke is, you know, when, you know, when he retires, she goes to work, right? She gets out of the house. You know, I married you for lunch, but not for the rest of my life, right? <laughs> um, so it's really important to define your roles, to define your identity. It's okay to have independent lives and be dependent on each other, but you need to talk through this stuff. And again, I get back to the pandemic. It's, there was a silver lining there for those who were about to think about looking at retirement because that's what it could be. Now, for some, they embraced that life. And for some, they said, ooh, I like this. I like working virtually. I like staying home with my spouse. I like all this. I'm going to delay my retirement. For others, they went, hmm, maybe they had an epiphany. Maybe all of a sudden a, a paradigm shift. And they said, I've got a couple of friends who are road warriors. They're just on the road 200 days a year. And they could no longer justify in their heads, you know, rationalize doing that anymore. So they moved up their retirement. But for everybody, it was different but everybody needed to embrace this new identity, this new perspective, so we could gain some clarity on what it is we wished to do. And so if someone comes in and talks to you, <clears throat> they, uh, they're getting ready to retire. Maybe they've done some planning in the past, but not necessarily since they were 20, because not everybody has the, the foresight to do that. How do you, how do you help them figure out um, if they're on track, if they're ready to go, obviously you crunch some numbers, but other than that, um, how do you talk to them to figure out what's going on, what, what they need to do next? That's the big question, right? And that's where we start with planning, um, where most of our peers start with investing. If you start with the investing, you never know how much risk to take. Am I taking on enough? Am I not taking on, uh, am I taking on too much? I don't know. What were your goals? What are your cash flow needs? How do you wanna lead your life? What's retirement going to look like? By the way, uh, as a result of writing the book, because I think this question is so pertinent, uh, we actually developed a quiz around this very topic. We call it Retire Now Quiz. You can actually, your, your listeners can go to www.retirenowquiz.com. And once you go there, it's a quick two-minute quiz, 15 questions. And once you finish it, 
will actually score it for you and tell you which of the three retirement preparedness stages you are in and what you need to do if you're not on track. We'll also get you a free first chapter of the book and we also send you a couple of worksheets so that if you fill out the worksheets, you'll gain some more of a handle, more, more, more a clearer vision on what it is you need to do to get yourself on track. Because it's, it's not only, apt. so when you do the planning, you find out one of two things, and they're both good. One, I'm on track. Cool. All right, now we're on track. Now we need to make sure that we stay on track and do the things we need to. The other thing that will happen is you'll do the planning, and you'll find out you're not on track. And that's good, too, because you found out. So now we need to know what is it that we need to do or adjust or think differently about so that we can get you on track, which is why you don't do retirement planning on Friday when you're retiring on Monday. You do it a few years in advance. I mean, most of our clients start with us, you know, in their mid-50s, let's call it. Um, you know, they're three years out, five years out, seven years out. Um, those with foresight may be 10 years out, but most people uh, are embracing that retirement red zone, if you will, and that five years out just before or five years after is where you can really gain some tremendous benefits from doing the planning. Once you do the planning, then you get some guidance on how to do the investing. And uh, as you said, it's important that you talk with your partner at the same time when you're doing all this planning. I, uh, I decided at around 50 that I was going to retire at 55. I thought that was a good age. Things, you know, things were good. So I sat down with our planner and I worked it all out and crunched all the numbers with them. And I came back to my husband and said, look, I can do it. I can retire at 55. And my husband looked at it and he goes, well, you've got me making the same income I'm making now until I'm 85. <laughs> yeah, it's my retirement plan, not yours. <laughs> so, you know, but that's really key, right? So the, the planning is only as good as the numbers you put in. The planning is only as good as the assumptions you put in. And in, in our, you know, I, I've seen in certain products where they put in the most optimistic planning scenario possible. You know, you're going to get 12%. You're going to live forever. Inflation will be zero. And, all, you know, none of that is real. So what we do with the planning, because we're very cautious and we run a lot of what-if scenarios, we sort of build in a lot of margins for error. When, when people give us whatever their number is for cash flow, let's say it's $5,000 a month, we always up it. We call it $6,000 because you always miss right. something, right? It's never perfect. For inflation, historically, inflation's been historically somewhere in the vicinity of 4%, though now we're running about 2 So what we need to do is pick a number because what you have to understand with these planning models and modules, they compound out these numbers for 30 years. It becomes, you have to understand that. So you have to adjust those numbers on an annual basis as it reflects what's happening in the economy, in the market, in your life, et cetera. But make sure when you're doing these assumptions that they're real, you know, and then build in, the, again, the margin for error. You don't want to be in a position, you know, you may knock off your partner at the age of 82 in these planning scenarios. What happens <laughs> if you live to 92? Uh-oh, right? Yep. So. You, you really need to be very careful because these planning platforms 
as they compound these numbers over 25 and 35 years can get very crazy. It's always, a, it makes interesting uh, conversation, I think, when you're planning your retirement with your partner and you, know, you throw your, your financial advisor into the mix and just discuss what it is you're going to do. And I know ours kind of you know, raised his eyebrows a couple of times and said, gee, that's what you want to do? <laughs> Well, you know, Let's that's a great, that. that's a great question. You know, I do a lot of speaking on financial wellness around the country. And one of the things I do with people is I say, I, I give the, whoever is attending a worksheet and I say, do me a favor, copy this worksheet, bring it home to your spouse. The two of you fill this out separately and then come together. And then I want to hear the fireworks because you're going to find that you're not necessarily on the same page. And okay, that's okay. You don't need to be on the same page, but you need to be on the same page in terms of what your goals and your direction is. And you know, the, the, in the weeds, it may be a little bit different, but you, you have to have the conversations together in order to have that fulfilling and rewarding retirement in the next chapter of life. I think that's true. I think that's uh, really important for everybody to remember that. You don't have to be agreeing on everything, but you got to know what each other is planning and that you're moving towards the same goal or right. it's just not going to work out. Right, right. So we've got the, uh, you mentioned the um, Retire Now quiz and you've got um, a website, um, 55retire.com. Is that, that's correct? That is correct. And I'll tell you a little story behind that. When I first got into this business, I was in my early 30s. I thought I would retire at 55. So I made my URL 55 retire. Well, now that I've passed blown through 55 and my friends tell me, hey, you lied. You said you were going to retire at 55. You know, the reality is, and it's funny, I was, I was in, um, I think I was in Asheville a number of months ago when I was talking to somebody as both of our wives were in the stores and we were outside waiting for them to, to finish their shopping. He said to me, he said, well, so what do you do? I said, I have a financial planning firm and we specialize in retirement. He says, it must not be going so well. I said, why do you say that? He says, well, because you're not retired. I said, you're confused. I said, I am doing what I choose to do. I am doing what I am passionate about. I am doing what I love. And oh, by the way, I could retire. What are you doing? So, you know, I, I think we have to really get into who we are and why we're on this earth and how we want to have a great time now because we're done with bringing up the kids. We just want to enjoy yep. the grandkids now and really have a healthy, fulfilling life. And it's not always about the money, which is another thing I think our industry does wrong. Yep, I think so too. <clears throat> and I agree with you completely. Retirement doesn't mean you don't work. It means you choose when to work and what to work on. Right. That's, you know, right. and that, I think that's a, that's the most important thing to remember for anybody, because if someone is scared to retire because they want to work, well, so then don't call it retiring. Just right. go do something you want to do. Right, right. You know, I, you know, retirement, a couple of great definitions, you know, one, one is, um, I don't know how I had enough time to work before, right? That's one yep. definition. Another is just having the freedom to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Now, I know yep. people who are very happily retired with maybe $300,000 in their portfolio or in the bank. And that's not a lot of money these days, but they're very fulfilled. 
I have clients who have two, three, four million dollars in their portfolio who are not enjoying retirement. It's not about the money, but you have to find the balance and why you're here and what you want to do and then build your retirement around the money. That's it. That's it. Exactly. You have to pick what you're passionate about, what helps you get out of bed, what you want to do in the day. <clears throat> and I think that's a, that's a perfect way to end. It's, it's what you, what you pick for your life is what's going to make you happy. And you know, it doesn't matter how much money that is. I couldn't agree more. So thank you very much, uh, Mark. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say to the listeners um, about things you have available or anything like that before we uh, sign off? You know, I, to be honest with you, for those of who are considering retirement, I think the best thing they can do is invest two minutes in themselves and just go and do the quiz. It, it, it's totally open. Uh, again, 15 questions. We'll score it for you, tell you where you are, how on track you are, give you the free chapter, give you a couple of worksheets. And, you know, at that point, you'll have a little bit more understanding in terms of answering the question you posed, which was, you know, am I on track? Because that's, that, that's really the big question. Right. Perfect. Thanks very much for joining me. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure that uh, the listeners got a lot out of it. Thank you, Jackie. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond retirement. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes.